Welcome to the inaugural episode of Practice What You Teach. This is going to be a weekly podcast by teachers here at Manassas Park High School. We will be doing interviews, making jokes, talking about topics, getting students interested in the art of podcasting. I'll be your host. My name is Mr. Hare, physics teacher here at the high school, and I've got with me two of the best teachers I've ever personally worked with. That's Mr. Lumpkin and Mr. Moreland. Now, they're going to introduce themselves, but we're going to do this in a fun way that I think is pretty interesting. I'm going to ask them a couple of questions. They're going to answer, and then we're going to go forward with the rest of our show. We're going to start with Mr. Lumpkin, only because L comes before M. I love them both equally. But I would like to know, Mr. Lumpkin, first things first, where are you from initially? Well, initially, I'm actually from near roundabout Richmond, so I'm actually from like, well, you'll probably hear it in my voice at some point. I may be a little bit more country than some other people here, but I'm not too far out of Richmond and in the sticks. Where'd you go to school? A couple different places. So I originally went to school for high school and grade school all around, yeah, around around Richmond near King William County, although no one's going to know where that is. Uh, but then I went to college, my first college experience out in Roanoke College out in the mountains where I just got a little bit more picky from there. And then went up to Philly for my graduate degree where I worked with dinosaurs and plants and a whole bunch of other stuff. So I've been around. Interesting. What is one of your hobbies? I usually play a whole bunch of music. I was a YouTube star for a minute. All right, now I just paint a whole lot. How many views did you get when you were on YouTube? Actually, quite a bit. So I actually have a video that's over 10,000 views. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. There'll be a link to that in the show notes. Now we're going to go over to Mr. Moreland. He's the, the final member of our trio. And now, Mr. Moreland, where are you from originally? Well, I was born in Jacksonville, Florida, mm-hmm. and uh, went to school there until middle school. Uh, Moved up to Virginia Beach for eighth grade, went to school there, and uh, graduated from Ocean Lakes High School in Virginia Beach, and then went to ODU, taught in Norfolk for a couple of years, and then moved up here. Now, I hear Norfolk, and that speaks to me personally, because I also lived in the Hampton Roads area for a long time. Which high school did you teach at in Norfolk? Well, it was or middle, middle school. Yeah, middle school, and I taught at uh, Lake Taylor Middle School. Awesome. Where did you go to, you said you went to Old Dominion for college? Yes. And uh, after that, you started teaching student teaching? Well, I had uh, like a, a bit of an off year. I was thinking about joining the Navy. And so I took the test and, you know, ended up fracturing my knee at work. I used to work at Kmart. So I was, you know, lifting stuff. I'm assuming it was probably like a uh, fracture that occurred because of prolonged stress on the bone. Because I tended to not follow the instructions in the box that said team lift and try to get things done on my own, which is not a good idea. Uh, so when I fractured my knee, I was laid up for about a year and uh, thought about what I wanted to do. I was like, well, the Navy thing, you know, that's that's a good idea. But, you know, you really don't do anything. I mean, you do things for other people, but you could impact more people if you become a teacher. So I decided to do that. Sure, sure. And what's one interesting hobby that you have that the students may not know about? Um, hmm. Well, I play hockey, but that's just something I just started recently. Uh, I guess another one would be. I'm getting trying to get into gardening. I've always tried to grow things, but usually they all die before. What are you growing this year? Well, it's more my fiance's thing than mine right now, but she's got uh, blueberries, which we bought a blueberry plant. We're trying to you know, maybe have some blueberries for next year. And she's also got uh, some chives and uh, I think we have a couple of cucumber plants. And I wanted to grow strawberries. We have this pot that has these little holes in it and i was going to try to put a little strawberry plant in each hole and hopefully you know they produce some fruit but that's not going to be till you know probably next 
next summer, maybe. Well, I'm definitely going to be coming to you guys for some fresh fruits and vegetables. Uh, strawberries are a big, big growth out in Hampton Road, especially mm -hmm. out in the Great Dismal Swamp. Uh, just to give you guys so that it's completely fair and transparent so that they don't feel like I'm asking them questions. My name is Mr. Hare. I was born and raised in New Jersey, Middlesex County, New Jersey. Uh, I grew up in a small town. Very few people have ever heard of it and even fewer know how to spell it of Piscataway, New Jersey. I always tell everybody, if you know where Rutgers is, that's where Piscataway is. Uh, for those of you who would know, exit 10 off the Turnpike, 287 West. Uh, that being said, from there, I joined the Navy Reserve and was sent to Norfolk, Virginia, where I attended Norfolk State University. Uh, I graduated with a degree in physics. From there, I worked at Jefferson Lab, which is a particle accelerator. We did not create the flash. And then after my wife took a job in Washington, D.C., when I moved my family up to Woodbridge, I then uh, started teaching here at Manassas High School, which has been my first teaching job. So that's it for us. Uh, one hobby that I have that a lot of people may not know, uh, I am very into writing computer programs for quantum computers. Uh, Microsoft has a program for that. Or they have a, when I say program, it's a program writ large, but they have a, a program where they're trying to interest people in writing quantum computing programs. And that's something that I'm very interested in being the forefront of technology. That being said, we're going to go into a layout of the topics for today's episode. So we're going to tell you what you're going to be listening to today. First and foremost, we're going to talk about some topics. We're going to do school news, some interesting facts that we found, and then we're going to talk about current events. Now, for each of these, the three of us are going to come up with an individual topic and then from there have a quick discussion about those topics. After that, we're going to have what I like to call our burning question. I'm going to pose a question to the panel, which is the three of us, and we're going to talk about it to see if we can get some differing opinions. We might completely agree. We may completely disagree. And finally, we'll give you guys some final thoughts going into the school year because this being our inaugural podcast. So I want to jump right into the topics of today. I'm going to start with some school news. Today, I want to let everyone know that on August the 22nd, that is high school device deployment. So if you have not received your laptop at any of the previous device deployments, today, August 22nd, is going to be your last day to do so. You want to come to the high school starting at 3.30. We're going to be handing out laptops. You're going to have to sign some paperwork. You may have to pay some fees and fines. But once you do all of that, your device will be issued to you. Any thoughts on that, Mr. Lumpkin? No, not at all. I'm just excited to see some people come through. Uh, we'll be out there handing them out and helping out from the people here at the high school today. Sounds good, Mr. Morland. Well, I mean, we've talked about the changes we're going to be making for the classes this year, and it's going to be imperative that students have their laptops with them because we're going to do a lot of things with technology and not where we're doing the things with technology, but where we're going to have the students make a lot of new things, websites, you know, podcasts like we're doing now, videos. And I know it's going to be a little bit of a, you know, shaky beginning because not all the students are going to have their laptops but once everybody has those it will be necessary to have those for class every day at least in my class i'm sure a lot of the teachers agree uh but yeah i mean if you don't have your laptops it's going to make it really hard to you know do a lot of the assignments so absolutely the school's focus going forward is making sure that we view technology as a tool to enhance your learning so with that, a lot of teachers are making an emphasis on everyone having their laptops. With that, I want to say that the first day of school is going to be Monday, August the 26th. Now, teachers have been back for about two weeks, but we are very excited to have students in the building. With just the teachers, it's one teacher per room and the halls are empty when no one's walking from one place to another. And we're looking very forward to seeing each and every one of your smiling faces. Mr. Lumpkin? 
Oh, of course. I mean, we just had a what, freshman orientation, not freshman orientation. What was it? Freshman, freshman introduction to the school to was school. on Wednesday this week. So that would have been the 21st. Yeah, where we had everyone come out already. And it was like the biggest, the biggest turnout I've seen here in the last three years. And it was incredible. And I hope that some of the freshmen might even be listening to this right now. We're really excited to have everyone come through. And it's, it's been great seeing people. Absolutely. I, I know that this is supposed to be one of the largest classes that Manassas Park High School has come in. So we're very excited to see the growth of our little school at the top of the hill. Mr. Moreland, what do you think about first day of school? Any thoughts? Well, <clears throat> first day of school, I mean, it's always going to be the students could be nervous. You know, they're going to look for their friends, look for the teachers they know. I mean, it's, it's harder for ninth graders and other grades. But uh, I mean, I, I was kind of joking around. We should just pretend that we already know the kids and be like, Hey, your test is tomorrow, you know, but I don't think they'd appreciate that. <laughs> so, you know, just come in knowing that the, the teachers and the students here, you know, everybody's, you know, a little bit nervous about the first day, but you know, it's not a big deal. Just uh, come in, you know, be nice to each other, be nice to your teachers and they'll be nice to you. Absolutely. We should always follow that golden rule. But one thing I want to point out with the first day of school, we're looking to have as much participation in our school as possible. So we need to come ready to hit the ground running on the very first day. But if the first day isn't enough, back to school night is going to be August the 28th, which is a Wednesday night. We'll be starting at 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. All teachers will be in their classrooms. So any students who would like to come in to bring their parents, to show them who their teachers are, show them what the school is like, show them where they're going to be learning. This is going to be an opportune opportunity for you to do that. Mr. Lumpkin, uh, we've been at some past back to school nights. I know you and I played chess last year, I think it was, for back to school so. night. We hung out and played some chess. Uh, we had several students come in. We had a good time. Anything sticks out to you from back to school night? Anything you want to tell your students to be ready for that first Wednesday? That's just a great opportunity to have people come in and then see exactly, like, sit down, talk about what we're expecting for the next couple of months we're going to be going through for this semester and being able to introduce, I don't know, parents. It's kind of cool to actually be able to meet some people that are actually going through everything. Uh, I think that's, yeah, I think that's about it. And Mr. Moreland, last year, we were on the same hallway, my first two years here. And I know when teachers, when I didn't have anybody in my room, I would come down to your room, you'd be able to say, hey, you know, teachers come in, have them sign, parents come in, have them sign, students come with them, show them where their seat is, you know, give them a great experience. Do you have any advice, tips, tricks you want to let the students know for uh, back school night? Well, <clears throat> I think if you want your parents to come to the back to, back to school night, it would be a really good idea. I mean, it's for the community, it's for the parents, it's for the students to get information that, you know, they may not be able to do so otherwise. And it only works if everybody participates. So I know a lot of teachers in the previous years have not had a lot of parents come, not had a lot of students come. And it's, it's hard because it's one day of the week and it's, you know, specific time. So if your parents are working, you know, that's, you know, other obligations you have, I know it's, it's difficult to get out there, but try to make an effort to come because it really helps, you know, with, with the collaboration between teachers and parents and students. If we all work together, it makes it a lot easier. But it's not possible if, if, you know, people don't show up. That's so. very true. Absolutely. One of the big things, themes for this school year is absolutely being there. We've been told by administration. We've been asked by all of the teachers. We're encouraging everyone to participate to the best of their ability. We want to see you. We want you to come see us. We want you to be in our classrooms. The best way to learn is to be in school. 
So we want to have as many students as we can come each and every day. Plus, this place is pretty empty without the students. You guys are the life of the school. We need you and we want you to come see us. One final thing, this was not on the list that I put on, but I do want to point this out. The first day off from school is going to be Friday, August 30th, which leads directly into, that's right, <laughs> September 2nd, which is a Labor Day. So immediately after school starts, you're going to get a four-day weekend. So the first week of school is only four days, and the second week of school is only four days. Any thoughts on that, guys? Any thoughts on that, Mr. Lumpkin? I think it's really well times for us to kind of come in, be able to meet everyone, kind of be a little bit low-key, get that relaxation just to get a little snippet left of summer, and then be able to really hit the ground running. Now, this is the first time I think we've had this type of schedule, Mr. Moreland. So what do you think you're going to be doing on that four-day weekend? Well, we just got a new puppy. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh well, she's not. She, we had her a couple of weeks now, but uh, so probably just trying to make sure she doesn't cause havoc or wreck things. Catch up on some uh, housekeeping stuff, you know, maybe go out for dinner or something, you know, if, if we have time, you know, just a little relax. I mean, you would think that we've had all summer to relax, but, you know, everybody does stuff over the summer. And then whenever school gets back started, you know, you're like, oh, well, you know, you get a little bit tired again. You know, even though it's only been like two weeks since we've been doing the pre-service stuff for the school. So just taking some like that one last time to relax before we get back into the swing of things. So. Absolutely. So that being said, our first full week is going to be the week of September the 9th. So September 9th through the 13th is going to be the first full week of school. So saying all the school news so that everyone has an idea of what's going to be coming up the first couple of days of school, first couple of weeks. I wanted to get into some interesting facts. So I want to start off with Mr. Lumpkin. He had a couple of facts he wanted to bring up. That way we can kind of get this year started off already learning something. Well, interesting facts. I guess my specialty there is always going to be going into some paleontology and looking at dinosaurs. I think we actually all had a conversation over lunch the other day talking about a certain type of dinosaur, although not technically a dinosaur. We're talking about pterosaurs, where they, whether they had feathers or not, right? That was the conversation we had over tacos. Mm. No dinosaurs there. This isn't the Flintstones. But we did talk about how the pterodactyl, whether or not it was a dinosaur. And in fact, we settled on that the pterodactyl is not a dinosaur. Well, it can get kind of sticky looking at a lot of the reptiles that are around. If you're looking at that time period, like 65 million years ago to like 150, where you think of like Jurassic World and Jurassic Park, you're seeing a whole lot of different animals or at least the depictions of animals that existed millions of years before we were around. And they kind of get fuzzy where you have your dinosaurs, where you have like your T-Rex, your sauropods, your brontosaurus and all these other things. And then you're having your other reptiles that are doing well, really different things like your pterodactyls, which are flying reptiles, or your mesosaurs, which are you're like you're seeing like your plesiosaurs and everything, which are your aquatic reptiles. And you're thinking of like Nessie and the Loch Ness monster and everything. And while they're all round and they're all scaled, they're actually different groups of animals doing really completely different things. Although I have to admit, I, I was actually wrong. I believe that we spoke the other day and I said that pterodactyls definitely did not have feathers. Turns out I did a little bit more research in the last two years or so. They have actually been finding dinosaur fossils or, well, pterodactyl fossils that are shown to have at least primitive feathers. Although it's weird, right? Because you think pterodactyls are flying reptiles. They're doing all these crazy things. Well, they have feathers. So they must be for flying. It turns out 
with these feathers developing, they're a whole lot more like hair. They're starting to actually insulate themselves to actually keep themselves warm, which is really important for seeing how cold-blooded animals were developing. So things are kind of changing the way that we're understanding things that exist before us, and it's really kind of exciting that things can change so rapidly. Eh, I don't know. I thought that was really interesting because I went back and actually double-checked that and was like, oh, well, okay, the information's changed from what it was four years ago. That is interesting. Uh, after you got out of your time machine and looked at those pterodactyls, you also mentioned that uh, we talked about T-Rexes for a very brief period. You said that their young may have been born with feathers. Definitely. So carnosaurs, which are basically a carnivore, like you're thinking of your meat eating dinosaurs, like T-Rexes, velociraptors, the scarier stuff you've probably seen like Jurassic World. Yeah, we're pretty sure at that point because their actual lineage, meaning like what they developed into, goes almost straight to birds like we see today. They definitely have fossils that show that they had markings where feathers would have come out of their skin. The belief is, or at least the hard and fast belief, they definitely had feathers when they were young and they might have lost feathers further on when they were older, but they definitely were born with some sort of insulation, which again, is probably like these really primitive feathers. I mean, when you think of it, if you go back and you think of looking at a skeleton of something, even something as simple as like a human, if you were to look at a human skeleton and just wrap it in skin, it would look a lot different than what you think of with muscles and hair and everything else that makes a person a person or a creature a creature. What we're realizing is that that's what we've done for dinosaurs for, well, the history of knowing about dinosaurs. And now we're realizing, okay, there's fat, there's skin, there's hair, the feathers, and tendons and everything else that make it so much more than what we used to think it was. It's really cool that we're going through this actual well, scientific discovery of looking at the information, looking at the details, and changing our views as the information that we have expands. This is like when we were younger. I mean, if you guys remember the Jurassic Park movie from the 90s. I remember it very clearly. Yep. They had the Tyrannosaurus Rex, you know, standing tall, looking all mean and growling and stuff. And that's that's not exactly what. With his little stubby <laughs> arm. <laughs> what it looks like for real. But they tried to, I guess they tried to change that for the new one. You know, I guess the Jurassic World that they made. I think they did try to like have him be like a little bit different, but maybe like. You know, they even changed the actor. It looked like uh, Peter Quill was now the new guy in charge of Drax World. Is that right? <laughs> well, I don't know if Jeff Goldblum was in there or not, but uh, Jeff well, Goldblum is a national dirty. treasure. <laughs> but uh, Peter Quill wasn't that Star Lord? Yeah, yeah. Chris Pine, or excuse me, not Chris Pine. Chris he was, Pratt. He was the Velociraptor Pratt. trainer. Spoiler alert. Oh well, now it's ruined. Can't watch that movie now. Well, I guess they already showed that in the trailer, but you know, I like that movie. I mean, and, you enjoyed it. Yeah, we went to go see it uh, in Virginia Beach at Cinema Cafe, where you get to eat dinner while you're watching. Now, I've been to Cinema Cafe, and it is a great experience. Yeah, I used to live like five minutes away from one, so... Were you in there all the time? Yeah, me and... Well, we were just dating at the time with my fiance. now. We went there a couple times to see a couple movies, because it was just so nice, and they're like pretty good deals. Food's I'm not bad either, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. And I know that we have some students at the school that work at Cinemark down the street in Centerville. We've seen a couple movies there, too. We actually were members of their movie club for a while, but uh, we've moved to Bristow since then. So now it's, it's not really, you know, we have a couple credits left, so we'll go see movies there. But, and you know, if we're in the area, it'd be great. But the club thing, which was a good deal, doesn't seem like it's, you know, necessary now that we're farther away. So Full disclosure, we are not advertising <laughs> for you all to go to any particular movie theater. You can go watch anything you want. But that actually brings up an interesting question. 
Mr. Olympia, what was the last movie you saw in the theater? Oh, last movie I saw in the theater. It's been a minute. Although I was trying to go see Midsommar because my fiance loves horror movies. So we were trying to go see it. Oh, I believe it was uh, was it Us or Get Out. But we've been interested in a lot of the new horror coming out. But the last one I actually saw hasn't. Well, oh, yeah. It part one. It part one. It part two coming out what? Next month? Uh, that I don't know. I'd have to double check. I'm not a horror movie guy. My wife is into it. I'm not. Mr. Lumpkin, what was the last movie you saw at the theater? Uh, Endgame. Mm. Avengers Endgame, which I was a little bit shocked that they made that movie because I thought that, you know, Infinity War was, you know, a thrilling conclusion to mm -hmm. the Avengers saga. Right? I guess they figured there. that <laughs> they needed to, you know, get a couple extra bucks on making the Endgame movie. <laughs> Just a few, not Just many. Few. Yeah. That movie, you know, it. I think it met its budget. I, an indie production, you know. It was an indie <laughs> film. You know, I, the last movie I saw was also uh, Avengers Endgame. Uh, I, I want to step back and talk about Infinity War for a moment. I read a very interesting piece about that where if you view the movie where Thanos is the protagonist, then that movie actually comes out very differently. If you don't look at it as him as the villain, but look at him as the hero that everything in that movie makes a lot more sense. And then, of course, as I've been telling a lot of my students, you know, he did it all so he can go camping. That makes a lot of sense. He my did. fiance was actually, she, I didn't even have to tell her because we had been waiting to watch Infinity War for a very long time. We had put off the MCU for a bit, which I know my students judge me on every day, but that was exactly how she took it. She's an environmentalist. Thanos is an environmentalist, sort of. I don't know that I would use the term <laughs> environmentalist. However, uh, seeing at the end when he had his little, uh, I guess it was a uh, tent set up and he was wandering around and feeding mm -hmm. himself, that was, uh, if mm -hmm. you look at it from that perspective, that's what it is. Well, that's it's what makes a good villain. Villains don't think of themselves as evil or as, as doing the, the wrong thing. In their mind, they're justified. I mean, Depends on the genre of what. Yeah, it depends on what you're watching. If you're if you're watching like melodrama, the bad guy's the bad guy. That's clear. I mean, he knows he's the bad guy, and you know who the good guy is. But if you have a, a a good complex story, the villain has to believe in what he's doing. If he doesn't believe in what he's doing, there's no, you know, motivation for him to be doing it. I I think that's that's true. But I also think there there comes a point where the villain knows that he is the adversary. I find that to also be compelling. Uh, full disclosure, the three of us are in charge of the anime club. Uh, I have one thing that I've always found interesting, uh, and we're of the age group that remembers Toonami. So <laughs> a lot of you today, when you watch your anime, and I call this the golden age of anime, I don't know that we would know that you're in a golden age until you're out of it, but I find this to be the golden age of anime where you can watch day and date and anime that came out in Japan, you can watch that day with subtitles. That's amazing because with the era we grew up in, it was, hey, you want to watch Dragon Ball Z? Okay, anime nerds, you wait six months and we'll give you 13 new episodes of Dragon Ball Z. But if you ever go back and watch Dragon Ball Z, it's very clear who the good guys and the bad guys are from for the viewer. But Frieza is the perfect example. Frieza makes it very clear, I am the bad guy. Cell makes it very clear, I am the bad guy. Uh, if you've ever played a video game, you know this is the final boss, and the final boss is aware that they're the final boss. So I think that when a villain, yes, is motivated and thinks that what they're doing is the thing they should be doing, I think that's very compelling. But I'm also interested in 
the boss or the villain being very clear. That's what I think is 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 makes a compelling character is it's very clear. I know what I'm doing. I'm 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 confident in what I'm doing because there are some people who know they're evil. Dio Brando. Dio Brando is very clear on his intentions of being the bad guy, and he plays a very good bad guy. That's my opinion. My wife thinks he's just insufferable, but I like Dio Brando. Mm-hmm. I think he's a very interesting character. But you see, like it's the same concept. Like, isn't Dio? I mean, I'm not really familiar with. Jojo's Bizarre Adventures, sure. which you probably are, but isn't his like goal to like take over the world or something like that? Dio's original goal is to take over the family. So when Dio shows up, at the very first introduction to Dio, it's called Dio the Invader. Mm-hmm. And he, his to dad- Take over Jojo's family. Take over Jojo's family. So yeah. Jojo's dad, George Joestar, who also was called Jojo, uh, he was in a carriage. The carriage flipped over with a young Jonathan Joestar and his wife. Uh, his wife does not survive. Uh or Dario Brando, who was Dio's father, finds them and he tries to loop their bodies thinking that they're dead. And George, uh, who survived the, the carriage, grabs onto Dario and says, you found me, you saved me, I'm very grateful. If there's anything you ever need, I will give it to you. Uh, they flash forward some years and you find out later that uh, Dario is sick, Dario dies. He gives George, he gives George's ring that he was trying to steal to Dio, who then takes that ring to the Joestar mansion and uh, is welcomed into the family as if he is George's own son. Mm. And that's the initial crux of it, because Dio looks at Jonathan, the original Jojo, and sees him as a privileged, pampered individual who he could usurp. But it's still like in his mind, his, his goal is I mean, it's not necessarily a just goal. But he believes he deserves a he better does life. That. He deserves to be the head of the family. He deserves control or whatever. Absolutely. And if you think about it, then it you have examples of that in nature as well. Mr. Well, Lundy, maybe you could help me with this. Isn't there some kind of bird who lays their eggs in another person, another bird's nest? Mm, well. Do you remember what kind of bird that is? You're calling on my avian knowledge, which I can say it's not the best in the world, although even though they're kind of considered dinosaurs. But yes, there certainly are a handful of different birds that are known for doing that. In fact, I mean, if I'm going about dinosaurs, there are many that are known for doing that as well. Oh, I think there's a cuckoo bird who does that. Yes. The cuckoo bird would lay eggs in another nest, and the cuckoo young, the hatchlings would be raised by other birds. Well, there's more There's more, more than, than that. There's more than that? Yeah. We just uh, Google searched it, you know, or DuckDuckGo, whatever you want to use. What you got? I prefer DuckDuckGo. But uh, it says there's a lot of birds. There's uh, cowbirds do it as well. What is a cowbird? A cowbird. African honey guides. Ooh. South American black-headed duck. Ooh. And the widest, which are interestingly named are some examples of parasitic breeder birds is what this website parasitic really breeder birds that should be the name of my new band parasitic breeder birds yes that is an interesting fact for an interesting <laughs> name so <laughs> speaking of interesting facts i'd like to turn our direction our attention in the direction of current events much is made about what happens outside of the walls of Manassas park high school uh, they affect not only what we do here within mass park they affect 
writ large, the Commonwealth of Virginia, and then even more to the point, the United States of America. We've each gone and found one event that we found in the news that we wanted to kind of discuss and have a quick discussion about. Uh, I'd like to turn to Mr. Lumpkin. What you got? What's uh, what's in the news? Well, right now, the biggest one that unfortunately isn't in the news and the one that's actually gotten me the most kind of riled up lately is these fires that are going on in the Amazonian right now. So as an earth science teacher, I teach about climate change. I teach about of climate in general and deforestation and a lot of these other issues that are going on in the world with resources. And to see that one of the biggest sources for oxygen in the world, one of the biggest sources for like carbon being put down, like carbon dioxide being a very bad greenhouse gas, or at least the most common greenhouse gas, seeing one of the biggest forests in the world burning to a point where the smoke is blacking out the skies and cities in Brazil and actually causing, well, seeing smoke from space. It's kind of unprecedented. It's damage that we haven't really seen as a species before, as humans haven't really seen before. And it's upsetting to see that no one's really talking about it, especially coming off of last year's big tragedy with Notre Dame, seeing the actual cathedral burning down. Again, that's a beautiful building and it's a beautiful place and it's something that we've struggled really hard to build. And then we, we immediately went to it. People donated millions of dollars, if I'm correct, to try and repair that. But then seeing a similar issue with something that is a wonder of nature that actually helps us survive on this planet, then not be mentioned at all or being very mentioned very little is actually being really upsetting. You know, I... I I take that point. Uh, I say that it's it's not as unprecedented as you might think. No, it with the, isn't. with California being yeah. on fire all of last year, uh, the Great Redwood Forest, which was on fire for an extended period of time, causing smoke, taking people's homes, unfortunately taking people's lives. We're seeing this more and more, mm -hmm. where we're losing these, like you say, these wonders of nature that catch fire, and then we are unable to put these fires out and prevent more cataclysm. I, I'd like to say that fire will not burn forever. It will eventually, if not die out on its own, it will be stopped. The Amazon has been, the Amazon was there long before humans walked through it and it gazed on its beauty. The Amazon will probably persist afterwards. That is the one solace I can take in it personally, knowing that that fire won't rage forever and take the Amazon away from us, but to show the interconnectedness of our worlds. So when the wind blows across the Sahara and it picks up sand, it blows that sand across the Atlantic and that sand is then deposited inside the Amazon. So everything on our planet is interconnected in some way, some in more obvious ways than others. Uh, Mr. Ramon, what do you think about fire raging across South America? <clears throat> well, we have California wildfires too. And I think fire, if you know, correct me if I'm mistaken, is a natural occurrence in, in the wild. There's wildfires that happen because it's almost like a natural occurrence that occurs because of what? What happens? What causes that? Well, I mean, that can range from a whole lot of different things. Wildfires are known to be part of the, the, the ecosystem, whether you're looking at like trees that actually require it to be able to put out new seeds, which you see out in California. Uh, it, yes, it ends up being something that either comes from lightning or just from lack of humidity or from a handful of different things that can happen from either a natural gas release or anything else. Uh, in this situation, I'm not necessarily sure. I'm pretty sure that a lot of the evidence that's coming of that is from human activity, especially from the deforestation that's ramped up. But the continuation at this point, yeah, it's, mm -hmm. yeah. 
And so, like, I don't know if, if you guys are aware, this is, I guess this could be my current event. Absolutely. Go ahead, Mr. It's Smokey the Bear's 75th birthday. Only you can prevent forest fires. Yeah. So to make a connection to that story, uh, that's the thing. Like, to know if it's a natural occurring fire or if it's human caused or, you know, you need to make sure that you are aware of what's going on in your, in your surroundings. Like, if you have... If you're out camping or you're, you know, doing a bonfire or whatever, make sure that a you're allowed to be doing that because not every place, you know, you're allowed to do that for specific reasons, like you know, Mr. Lumpkin said. And b if you are allowed, make sure that you have the fire out. And you're practicing fire safety, you know, dousing the fire with water, making sure everything's good to go before you leave. I don't think. I mean, there are some people who still who smoke, but I don't think smoking is as popular as it used to be. No, so that probably so isn't the the likely cause of uh, man made fires these days. But you know, fire is a tool, and fire is something that should be respected as a tool. I mean, you can't just light fires willy nilly and, and think it's okay. You could hurt yourself, you can hurt other people, and you could hurt you know the ecosystem if you aren't careful. So. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I remember watching the commercials, the infomercials of Smokey the Bear, where he had a little animation where he would douse the fire, then cover it with a shovel, some dirt, and then stir it up. It was like making a mud pie, but keeping it from burning down the forest. Mm -hmm. So I did want to ask one burning question. Is that a pun? That is a pun. <laughs> Thanks for noticing. The English teacher in the room noticed. I had a question that uh, my wife, she had uh, really, she really embraced it. So she was asking me this question, but should we have summer break? Now, I wanted to get the opinion of these two educators with me. I'll obviously put in my two cents as well, but Mr. Lumpkin, should we have summer break, yes or no? I believe that it's, we are as a community past the point where summer break is a useful tool. Okay. While I understand, especially as me as teachers, we like our time off as well. It Having two months or so, Actually, out from school, I think it does more damage than it actually helps because you end up having people slip and forget everything when they're coming back to work on stuff. Ah, I know how quickly students can forget things because I was a student myself. And I know that that big gap period of time, while it's nice to be able to go out and do stuff, ends up pulling me back and limiting what I can do. Sure. I mean, if we really look back at it, the point of a summer break was the basically back when we were more of like an agriculture, more of a farming society where people would well, go to school during fall, go to school during uh, your spring, stuff where uh, times of year where there wasn't things going on on the farm and everything else. And they would take the summers off to be able to help the families back home be able to work on the fields, work on everything else that was going around the house. I don't think that's necessarily what's going on nowadays during summer school, but or no, during summer break, but yeah. I think it would make more sense for us to be able to have more breaks, even if they're shorter, spread out and being able to work around more of a school being a being a part of our lives as opposed to something we go to for a good part of the year, take breaks and just count those days before the breaks to have those big vacations. What do you think, Mr. Marlin? Should we have summer break? Well, I think that it's going to be a rough to try to get people to give up summer break, but <clears throat> others, you know, other countries have different systems. Japan, for instance, has year-round school, but it's not year-round school. You say that to the kids, they think we're going to be going to school all year. Of course, they're not going to agree to that, but they have longer breaks for each season. So they, you know, I don't know if, like what exactly the dates are, but 
School year in Japan starts in April. So. Yeah, but I mean, like the the dates they get off. They usually get all of August. Mm-hmm. So their their summer the first break is at the end of July. So starting August one, and they go from August one to sometime around the end of August, and they start their second semester, which ends sometime around March. That's when graduation. So graduation is in March. School year starts in April. Summer break uh, starts in August. Mm-hmm. Typically, that's how that works. Yeah, I mean, we, we can't exactly celebrate, you know, Emperor's birthday, you know, which I just looked up as December 23rd. But, you know, like we can uh, kind of copy the same system and, and give people, you know, more of a seasonal break to be able to do things like in the winter, like go see family or spring or summer. So you have like a more balanced break schedule instead of just having it all in the summer. The benefit of having summer vacation would be, you know, you'd have this one big old chunk that you can plan like a long drawn out trip on. Teachers can, you know, relax longer, that kind of thing. But I think that getting back into the swing of things would take less time if we just had the year round schedule. I I take both of your points. Um, Speaking to the agrarian nature, there are still many communities that are agrarian based in the United States. So with a nation the size of ours, the the need for food is constant. So there's somebody growing something somewhere. If I'm going to even go back and contradict myself, I had friends back where I was from that would work on a tomato farm because, well, we were right beside Hanover, Virginia for Hanover tomatoes. But absolutely still. So, yes, I I think that other systems work well in other places. I, I as a teacher, I really like having summer break. I would not be bothered if they shortened that break or broke it up into other parts of the year. So, for example, if they moved winter break to the end of first semester and then tacked on another week. So instead of getting two weeks, we got three weeks. That'd be fine if they ended the first quarter within the, the second semester around the time of spring break. And instead of having one week, they tacked on a second week. I'd be fine with that. Uh, I think that this is an interesting conversation that can be had because with the way we're making changes to our school, a drastic change could be in order. When we change the way we go to school and we change the way that we interact with school and the scheduling, we might find something that works out for us. So that's, a, that's where we go long term. Uh, Mr. Moreland, I did want to ask about when it comes to summer break, what do you think most people use that summer break for? I mean, I know you said it's hard for transition. Most adults or high school graduates don't get a summer break. So mm-hmm. most of the world doesn't. It's really students in education that has breaks like this. Well, we could even take college courses during the summer. There's summer semesters. When I was in college, I did that a couple of times because I actually enjoyed it more because there's less you know, traffic, less, you know, students on campus so you don't have to worry about waiting in line for stuff you know but you know I think it's it's I think people take summer off and they you know probably go off and and either visit places if they have the means to do so if they don't they probably just stay at home and relax I know if I'm not doing anything in the summer I I end up you know kind of going a little bit stir crazy because I don't want to be doing nothing that's why when it talks when it comes to talk about retiring and stuff like that like a lot of the older teachers say you know I'm going to retire in a few years. Like I couldn't do that. I couldn't retire. Just not having anything to do, it, it drives me crazy. Uh, so, you know, what people do with their summer break depends on their means. I mean, if you if you don't have enough money to go somewhere, then you don't go anywhere. I mean, when I was a kid, we lived in Jacksonville, Florida. Guess how many times I've been to Disneyland or Disney or whatever's down there? Five or six. Nope, none. Oh. We couldn't afford it. We didn't enough money. Mm-hmm. So we're like a hop, skip, and a jump away from, you know, one of the most popular theme parks in the world. Summer break comes around. Guess what we do? Not hang, go to hang summer. out with our friends. Not go know? to Disney, yeah, huh? Just 
mess around outside, you know, go exploring, pick up bugs or whatever, you know, oh, those palmettos. Yeah. Supposedly <laughs> there were supposed to be a cotton mouth in our, in our palmetto behind our house. Like we lived in Navy housing and uh, supposedly there's like a poisonous snake back there. So you ever see him? Uh, yeah. After my dad killed it with a, a hoe, he had like a sharp hoe that he used for edging mm. and, uh, cut its head off and, and showed it to everybody. And it's like, Hey, look, got it. That, that was <laughs> his trophy, huh? Well, we just threw it in the garbage, but oh, you know, course. Oh, you could have mounted that. Uh, well, not with its head off. Get an epider, epidermist. Taxidermist. Taxidermist. Yeah. Yes. They'd be glad to. I was, that I was lucky enough to live in Navy housing. Sure. Because you had, you know, all, all kids from all different you oh, know, backgrounds in, in one neighborhood. And you just hung out with everybody. We had a youth center we went to. We had summer ball, like summer baseball. We played Little League. Uh, we had like the youth center had like a pool table and foosball table and arcade machines, you know. So it was like a good little resource for us to, to use. I mean, you know, but we never really went on a lot of trips. Went to see our grandparents mm-hmm. usually, but that, you know, up in West Virginia, Maryland, but, you know, didn't really go anywhere special. Like, I guess those are special places. I, I you know, don't want to say that, but, you know, didn't go anywhere like, expensive i guess is a better word like a theme park or something but I wanted to, once I wanted, we got up to virginia beach though we went to uh bush gardens a few times so i have also been to bush gardens mm-hmm. what's your favorite roller coaster bush gardens i would have to say it's probably alpengeist okay just because have you been michelin you know the bush gardens actually no uh, even though i worked because i worked at king's dominion for a long period of time i was about i grew up 30 minutes away from King's Dominion. Never got out of the Bush Gardens. Mm-hmm. Why, why was Alpengeist your favorite, Mr. Mall? Sorry to cut you well, off. Well, that's yeah. fine. Because you're, you're, it's a different roller coaster than, you know, you're, you're hanging down. Your legs are hanging yep. down. And it's really fast. And it's just, you know, it's not like it doesn't – I'm getting older. So, like, it's not affecting <laughs> – it doesn't affect your body as badly as some of the other roller coasters. Sure, does, sure. But it still gives you a thrill. And I've been to, to King's Dominion, too, which is kind of funny because King's Dominion is like a trek – and it uh, is from where from Hampton Road. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I'll tell you what, that Intimidator roller coaster, it was it was pretty rough. It was rough. Yeah. But it was fun. And uh the Rebel Yell roller coaster, I think they changed the name of it now. No, I think it's still the Rebel Yell, I just don't do the backwards one. That will beat you up. That and the Grizzly at King's Dominion. All right, all right, all right. This this isn't <laughs> yeah. senior citizen hour talking about what roller coasters <laughs> we have a hard time <laughs> on. This, I know we don't have any sponsors, but we're brought to you by Insure. We're brought to you by Insure. <laughs> and what, what was the old denture paste they used to Holiday. stick it up in there? Holiday. That's the one. There we go. <laughs> I know nobody asks, but my favorite roller coaster at uh, King's Dominion was, or Bush Gardens, Gardens, excuse me. My favorite was the Loch Ness Monster because if you did it, they would send two at once. And if you were upside down on one, you could look straight down and see somebody else on another one. Is it still open? Uh, that's a great question. As rickety as it was 20 years ago, probably not. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to turn, and and I know we've had a great time with you today, just a little inside baseball. We actually went over our time on our recording. So just so all of you amateur podcasters, for example, the kids in our class, 30 minutes is the maximum time that you can record before it cuts off on you. So there will be a weird edit uh, right after I talked about the Sahara Desert. So I want to go to some final thoughts and in the future, this section will be for student questions that we answer. So I'm encouraging all of our students, if you have questions, if you have comments, if you have suggestions, anything that makes the show better, I want you to give those to us. You can email us 
We'll have our emails uh, on our syllabuses or syllabi mm -hmm. or directly located somewhere easy for you so that you can get us at those questions. You can ask us directly. You can write them down, slip them under our door. You can give them to our pod mates and they will for sure, if they don't lose them, give them to us. Mm -hmm. But this will be that section where we answer that in addition to giving you some final thoughts. Mr. Lumpkin, I want to go to you. I want you to give me one final thought from today's podcast. I think the final thought for today's podcast, the final thought for really what we've been working towards these last couple of weeks, kind of getting back in the swing of things, is that I'm really excited that we're getting these opportunities and really getting the support to be able to do different things. And not just do different things, but take risks. Sitting here, being around a table with teachers that I've worked with before and really love the opportunity and really been looking forward to the opportunity that worked before. It's really cool that we're able to do something as simple as well, sit around and talk into a, a microphone and talk to students in this way and being able to show them that they can take risks too. But realistically, we're doing different stuff and getting a chance to go out of our comfort zones uh, for someone who has bad anxiety that can be tough. But I'm really excited to try new things. And I hope that you guys seeing us try new things will help inspire you all to be able to try new things too. Sounds great. Mr. Moreland, any final thoughts? <clears throat> well, to go back to the uh, first day of school kind of thing, everybody who comes to this school as a student is going to be giving a lot of information about the classes they're taking. You know, they may go into a classroom and they don't may not like the class. They might be like thinking, oh, man, I, I want to get out of here. Be open to new things, though. Like try, try to, you know, be open to maybe taking a class that maybe you think is going to be too tough or maybe you think is going to be, you know, a lot of work because once you actually put the work in, you may actually look back and think, man, I'm glad I did that because it challenged me to do something that I was not comfortable with. Like maybe I'm not comfortable taking AP English or taking, you know, physics or, you know, whatever. But if you step out of your comfort zone, then you'll reap the benefits later. And if it's too tough, then, you know, you might want to reassess, but, Everybody is able to do what they need to do if they put their mind to it and actually work. And if you need support, you can ask the teachers, you can ask, you know, administration, you can ask the librarians. There's a lot of people here that are willing to give you guys support if you, you know, just ask. But you got to communicate because if you don't communicate, we're not going to know. So. Excellent stuff. Uh, I won't be taking such a somber tone. <laughs> I, uh, I've actually been reading a lot lately over the course of um, the last couple of weeks, last couple of months. And one of the things I've actually read recently was a couple of articles on Gizmodo. Now, for those of you of a certain age, Gizmodo was an excellent source for technology news. It has since become a part of the conglomerate that also does everything else with the root, Kotaku, Jezebel, all of those others. But two popped up recently that I was incredibly interested in. I spoke about earlier that I work I try to write quantum computer programs, applications. One thing they're working on right now is the quantum internet. The internet has become a ubiquitous part of the life of every student today. Uh, it was a novelty when the three of us were in school. Uh, I remember when they installed uh, computers that could actually get into the internet in my high school. This is the early aughts or the early 2000s. Um, and one thing I find interesting is that the quantum internet is being designed as a way to create encryption 
that cannot be broken, even if we have a fundamental paradigm shift in our physics. So I, one thing I always say to our students are, the rules of physics haven't really changed in so many years. And that's mostly true up until I point to this one thing and say, there is this thing that is an exception that I'm not gonna go into right now because you'll never experience it in this classroom. But with quantum internet, what they're trying to say is that we'll be able to do fascinating new things with our internet, with our applications, with our technology. And it makes me very excited because I play a lot of video games and this could be an absolute game changer, literal game changer with artificial intelligence. The one thing they have not yet been able to recreate in a video game is actual human intelligence. And that's interesting to me. I wanna see what we can come up with. I wanna see a video game where when I play and I play multiplayer, the game is doing something that another player will do. And that excites me because again, as a gamer, I, I'm into that challenge of always having to overcome the most, the most difficult adversary. As I've done in, in years past, in any video game that my students play, I'm the final boss. So that being said, this has been a wonderful experience. We will be doing this weekly, which means we will find the time to get the three of us together to put together a show for you, our listening audience, our students, other teachers within our school, administration, parents, and anyone else within the Manassas Park family. So again, if you have questions, comments, concerns, you wanna write in and talk to us, you want to talk back to you, anything that makes the show better, we're open to getting that information and feedback from you and doing the best that we can. So with that, it has been an honor and a privilege to speak with you this afternoon. We're looking to do it for the rest of the school year from now until June of 2020, and hopefully even further into the beyond. So with that, I'd like to thank you all for listening. Good night and good luck.